This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Yes, the mystery goes on as why such a peppy, upbeat tune is called the Hawaiian War Chant. But we like it, so we've used it on many occasions. In this case, it is appropriate, given that yours truly was in Hawaii last week, which should give me some material to talk about during the rest of the hour. It's still hard for me to believe that as wonderful a piece of real estate as the Hawaiian Islands is part of the U.S. It's so warm and relaxed. And I must say, in terms of looking back at U.S. history, this is one of our better imperialistic land grabs. Hawaii is especially interesting for me, given that my grandfather, who I knew quite well, was born in the Republic of Hawaii before it was a part of the United States. But evidently he, my grandfather, got grandfathered in (laughs) when it came to uh, making everyone who was a part of that republic a U.S. citizen. Speaking of history, let's begin our program today, as we like to do, with On This Date in History, that the date in question being the 13th of June. It was on June 13th in 1744 that Rhode Island became the first colony to ban trafficking in human beings within its border, ending its importation of slaves. Well done, Rhode Island. Thirty-three years later, June 13, 1777, the Marquis de Lafayette, who served as the French government's on-site liaison for its secret support of the American revolutionary efforts, arrived in New York. Six months later, France's role was formalized by the signature of Treaties of Commerce and Alliance, which I believe was engineered by Benjamin Franklin. We did have some fun on this program, poking fun at the morons, who nine years ago were putting up signs like, we don't serve French wine, in the wake of the French and German government's rather intelligent refusal to get involved in the great Iraq war fiasco. A lot of Fox News types back then were pointing out what a bunch of wusses the French were. And while their performance in World War II was somewhat subpar, the truth of the matter is, and we hope they note this over at Fox, that without French help, we, without a doubt, would not have won our struggle against mighty Great Britain. And speaking of freedom, sort of, it was on June 13th in 1945 that the University of California, which has become, of course, an equalizing platform for success among the state's many racial, social, and political groups, established a policy then requiring all faculty to sign oaths asserting that they do not ascribe to communist ideals or the Communist Party. And I suppose at this point, it's irresistible to, uh, to note the joke that these days, if you want to find a communist government, you're going to have to look in North Korea, Cuba, or at the Berkeley City Council. On June 13th in 1950, South Africa's White Assembly, representing only 20% of the country's population, voted to establish segregated districts for blacks and whites, which became the legal basis of apartheid. Which also allows me to insert the very, not very funny joke that these days, if you want to find apartheid, you're not going to find it in South Africa, but you may have better luck in Israel and Palestine. This might be a good point to note that that joke 
and all of the opinions you hear on this program do not, of course, necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California, especially including any faculty members that were secretly communist. Boy, it's kind of a big day in history, Mr. McMillan. On uh, June 13, 1966, the United States Supreme Court issued its Miranda ruling, which required police making an arrest to inform a suspect of his rights, including his right to have a lawyer being present during questioning, his right to remain silent, and to just otherwise not incriminate himself. The Miranda ruling, of course, has been instrumental in ensuring that lots of guilty people got off on a technicality. And I'm glad I just did the disclaimer. It was on June 13th in 1971 that the New York Times began publishing the Pentagon Papers, which was a confidential report, I believe, by the Rand Corporation on U.S. involvement in Vietnam. It had been leaked to the press by Daniel Ellsberg, whom we do hope to bring on this program in the next few weeks. We do want to note that Daniel Ellsberg has spoken to KDVS in the past on uh, Ron Glick and Richard Estes' program, Speaking in Tongues, some years back. He did this country a great service back in 1971, and we hope to bring him on to talk about that sometime soon. Our quote of the day, and this may take a little bit of explaining, comes from Dr. Jacques Moritz, currently Director of Gynecology at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital Center in New York. It has been noted that New York City hospitals are bracing for a 10 to 30% increase in births in late July slash early August, exactly nine months after Hurricane Sandy. Referring to that event, Dr. Moritz said, this is just plain old basic physiology. There's no internet and no cable. What else is there to do? Our quip of the day comes from the late Senator Frank Lautenberg, who passed away last week. Lautenberg had been quite a financier of various liberal Democratic candidates, including a $90,000 donation back in 1972 to help put George McGovern on the ticket. He decided to run himself in 1982 and went on to serve in the Senate for most of the following 30 years. Lautenberg was a veteran who served in World War II. In fact, he was the last U.S. Senator to have served in World War II. What's curious about him is that he retired in the year 2000 but ran again in 2002, taking up opposition to the Iraq War. Our quip is what he called Vice President Dick Cheney, which was the lead chicken hawk. Said Lautenberg, they talk tough on national defense and military issues and cast aspersions on others. But when it was their turn to serve, where were they? Good question, Senator. Our stats of the day, we got quite a few here, thanks to the fact that we've got a Harper's Index in front of us. Let's delve into a few of them. The portion of U.S. river miles capable of supporting, quote, healthy biological communities, unquote, according to our EPA, is one in five. That's terrifying. How about this one? Percentage of personal income the average American making more than $200,000 a year gives to charity. That would be 4.2%. That's opposed to the percentage of personal income the average American making between $50,000 and $100,000 a year gives to charity. That would be 6%. How about this one? Percentage of state-owned land in the West Bank allocated by the Israeli government for the Palestinians. 0.7%. And the percent allocated for Israeli settlers, 51%. It's apartheid. I'm here to tell you. I've seen it with my own eyes. Here's one from the idiot file. How about uh, the amount the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, 
has awarded in grants since the year 2011 to study the correlation between obesity and homosexuality. That would be that would be one million five hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Your tax dollars at work. All right, let's do our joke of the day. I'm going to go back to childhood to pull this one out. I can recall being in Chinatown back in the 60s, I guess it was, at a restaurant called Johnny Cans, which my family was fond of back then. And when the fortune cookies came, my dad cracked the joke about how we'd pop one open and it would say, Help! I'm being held prisoner in a Chinese fortune cookie factory. Now I'll grant you, that's not that much of a joke. But in the case of reality imitating art, you may have noticed this story by Andrew Jacobs in the New York Times last week, that a woman named Julie Keith opened up some uh, Halloween decorations she'd purchased at Kmart and found, written in wobbly English on a sheet of onion skin paper, a note from a writer who said he was imprisoned in a labor camp in northeastern China, where, he said, inmates toiled seven days a week on, in 15-hour days, haunted by sadistic guards said the letter, Sir, if you occasionally buy this product, please kindly resend this letter to the World Human Rights Organization. Thousands of people here are under the persecution of the Chinese Communist Party government will thank and remember you forever. Well, news of this got out. Uh, apparently, international media coverage resulted. Uh, taking a look at the Chinese system, what's called re-education through labor. It's basically a collection of penal colonies where petty criminals, religious offenders, and critics of the government can be given up to four-year sentences by the police without trial. Apparently, the subject of these uh, re-education through labor camps has uh, broken out in China in recent months, and scores of former inmates have come forward to tell their stories, stories of horrific abuse, including frequent beatings, days of sleep deprivation, and prisoners being chained in painful positions for weeks on end. Prisoners have reported death by beating and death by suicide. One, Shen Chun, was quoted as saying that um, sometimes the guards would drag me around by my hair or apply electric batons to my skin. She'd been given a two-year sentence for refusing to give up a petition campaign aimed at recovering unpaid wages from her accounting job at a state-owned factory. You know, maybe it's time to stop buying Chinese stuff. The piece noted that officials at the Masangia labor camp did not respond to faxes or phone calls requesting an interview. In the meantime, Sears Holdings, which is the owner of Kmart, declined to make an executive available for an interview for the New York Times. But they did say in a brief statement that an internal investigation prompted by the discovery of the letter uncovered no violations of company rules that bar the use of forced labor. And speaking of your tax dollars at work, Julie Keith sent this letter to uh, the federal authorities and the Federal Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency said it would look into the matter. An agency spokesman, citing protocols, said that he could not confirm whether an investigation was underway, but that such cases generally took a long time to pursue. All right, let's take a jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week 
last week for really prompt delivery. After Domino's, the pizza chain, asked a British company to test the feasibility of delivering pizzas by drone. Said Tom Hatton, the founder of the company, we're serious about it. And apparently they did use a small drone to test deliver two pepperoni pizzas. Do you think maybe this drone thing is getting a little out of control? All right, it was a bad week last week for gaming the system. After a North Carolina postal worker who received workman's compensation payments for shoulder injury suffered nine years ago was forced to admit she was a fraud. The worker gave herself away by appearing on TV's The Price is Right and spinning the big wheel twice without difficulty. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for making a bucket list with the news that two women in Florida ended up in jail thanks to the fact that on their bucket list they included stealing from a store. Yes, police said that Andrea Mobley and Jennifer Denise Morrow were arrested after they tried to leave a Walmart with several unpaid items, including beef jerky and a bathing suit. Morrow told cops the mini-crime spree was part of a bucket list of activities they wanted to complete before they died. Said Mobley, we were two stupid women doing something we never did before. Now, we do want to note at this point that Radio Parallax in general approves of the idea of creating a list of things you'd like to do during your time here on Earth. But we would ask you to put some thought into this so that unlike Andrea Mobley and Jennifer Denise Morrow, we would like to note editorially that although Radio Parallax does approve of the idea of composing a list of things you'd like to do during your time here on Earth, we strongly suggest that you exercise some judgment in doing so. Because if you think about it, becoming a Walmart shoplifter really doesn't belong in anybody's list. All right, we also may want to note that it was a, maybe an ugly week last week for anatomy class with the news that scientists have now discovered a previously unknown human body part. The newfound part, dubbed Dua's layer, is a skinny but tough structure measuring just 15 microns thick, which lurks in the human eye. This feature's name for its discovery, Harminder Dua, professor of ophthalmology and visual science at the University of Nottingham. Dua said in a statement, the finding will not only change what ophthalmologists know about human eye anatomy, but will also make operations safer and simpler for patients with an injury in this layer. Dua's layer adds to the five previously known layers of the cornea, the corneal epithelium, followed by Bowman's layer, the corneal stroma, Decemet's membrane, and the corneal endothelium at the back. The new layer is located between the corneal stroma and Decemet's membrane. And yes, this of course means our, our good friend and eye consultant, Dr. Gary Aguilar, will have to return to this program to explain what the heck's going on here. Of course, we do want to note, 15 microns thick is pretty thin, actually, since, as I recall, a, a red blood cell is something like 6 microns across. But uh, don't quote me on that one. Now, let's talk a little bit about Hawaii. When you're on vacation out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, you tend to be a little bit less politically oriented. But uh, even reading the Garden Island Times, one notes that uh, the editorial staff does have to sound off occasion on things political, such as this piece. Asking who will spend more time in jail, a rapist or a hacker? 
noted the paper, the brutal rape of a drunken 16-year-old West Virginia high school student landed two of her assailants, one to two years in juvenile detention. But an alleged computer hacker who leaked evidence implicating her assailants could go to prison for 10 years. Apparently in this Steubenville rape trial, which caught the nation's attention earlier this year when two high school football players were tried for raping a young woman at a party, well, disturbing videos, photos, and text messages circulated on the internet revealing what had happened that night, which was an unconscious victim was taken from a party, undressed, photographed, taken to a car and assaulted, then transported to a basement where she woke up missing her underwear. Outraged that local law enforcement officials were not handling the crime seriously, the hacker group NightSec, part of Anonymous, made good on threats to release incriminating evidence of the crime. One piece was a 12-minute video featuring high school students and members of the self-proclaimed rape crew making jokes about the attack. Now it turns out that the hacktivist, 26-year-old Derek Losutter, who posted the video, could face up to 10 years in jail if he's convicted of hacking-related crimes. And I understand while I've been gone, the NSA's been in the news a bit. Uh, we're going to talk about that, just not on today's program. And when it comes to talking about Hawaii, I think I'm going to skip, uh, you know, giving it the, the praise people usually lavish upon it, usually for good reason. To note instead that while I was there, I um, was tracking down some long-lost relatives. Turns out that my great-grandparents emigrated to Hawaii, which was then an independent nation, uh, ruled by Hawaiians, sometime in the 1880s. And apparently sometime in around the 1930s, my grandpa got kind of ticked off at some of his brothers, I think, with cause. But the consequences of this were really kind of a bummer. He sort of got mad at them and said to heck with them. So when I learned about where some of my cousins were living and went up and knocked on the door to say hello a couple years ago on a trip to Hawaii, I was highly amused to note that, you know, well, boy, these folks look like me and I look like them. And on subsequent trips, I've gone out to dinner with them and just had a grand old time. But to my horror, I discovered that I had some other cousins, their brothers, who've been living here in California since 1950. And KZFR listeners take note, they live in Chico. So having learned about this, I, I cold called my Uncle Billy, who lives in Chico, and went up to meet the guy. And, and I got to say, I'm glad I did it. These are some fun folks. In fact, one of the cousins in Hawaii had a 90th birthday party last September. I, I'd met her the year before and said, boy, if you're going to have a 90th gala for her, I'll come over for that. And I did. To find myself in a room with 250 people, most of whom were blood relatives. In fact, this time I went over with my nephew, who, who also resides in Chico, who didn't know anything about this end of the family either. And he expressed shock that I, I thought we were like a really small family. I said, no. We are, in fact, a long-lost appendage of a very large family. Which leads me to say, dear listener, I hope that you, if you have any situations like this in your family, of people that you, you know, kind of lost track of, you might just want to go look them up. Of course, you may have to keep in mind, if there's a grudge being held by somebody, you may just have to get over it. For example, I found out what irked my grandpa was the fact that his brother had sold off a chunk of land. And when I had a chance to take a gander at where this property was, which is to say right on what is voted the second most <laughs> stunning piece of roadway in America after the road in Big Sur, you do have to just kind of go, ouch! <laughs> but doggone it, as the old saying goes, 
One thing that's denied even to God himself is the ability to change the past. What's happened happened, and now it's time to move on. I think there's a lesson in that for all of us. Uh, by the way, Doug, did you get a chance to eat any poi while you were over there? Yes. Before we go, I would note that I indeed did get a chance to eat some poi, which I'm very fond of. You're about the only one. Yes, as Adrian, our, our guide, kayaking a couple years ago, pointed out that poi is indeed the miracle food in that one cup can be counted on to feed 10,000 tourists. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned for more. we got plenty more of it. Show, that is, not, not poi.